Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking about the lost books of the Bible. Yeah, we're going to look at all the ancient manuscripts that we know of historically that almost made it into the Bible but are now lost to us. Well, I've got my Bible, but I can't find my lost books of the Bible. Oh, here it is. Right, guys, this is a this is kind of an intriguing episode. I don't know too much about it, but you know, I've heard a few things. The reason <laughs> the reason you don't is because they've been lost completely. <laughs> you just found, we just them. found them. That's where they've been hiding this whole time is under our table. Under the table. Oh, oh my gosh. This is a find of historical them? importance. Yes. It's a five-star alarm right here. Well, they have been lost since the initial centuries of the church. So I mean, we we need like Indiana Jones, like an Indiana Jones movie on this. This is great. Yeah. So the Bible, as we know today, there's 73 books, right? 66 if you, you're one of them Protestants. Now, <laughs> but the Bible wasn't always set as a canon. Before the Bible was set in the, the fourth and fifth centuries by the Catholic Church, really, it was just manuscripts and, and, and documents that all were considered by some to be inspired, by others not to be inspired. And at any given time, there were sometimes up to six Gospels instead of four that many saints that we know of, like Augustine and Cyril of Jerusalem, they all said, well, these are part of the Gospel, right? And when you think of the 72 and the disciples of Jesus and those who followed him around and all of the people who were affected and encountered Jesus, they were sharing testimonies. Their life was massively changed. So there was so much in circulation in the first century into the yeah. second and third century and the effect of the apostolic church and their followers and the groups and towns that they've affected and the tribes of people that they've affected. I mean, there was a lot of material being circulated that was building the body of Christ. That's right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that that were lost in the context of time. You know, and again, they didn't have the Internet back then. Right. So a lot of the people. So if you're looking in Alexandria versus in Athens versus Rome versus Jerusalem, you might have a completely different collection of writings. And well, this is our Bible. This is our yeah. holy scriptures. This yeah. is holy writ. Jerusalem is going to have a different set than Alexandria versus maybe like we said, wherever. And some were popular and being circulated around right. expeditiously. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, you have this almost like trade back and forth, but, you know, this is in time of a lot of persecution in the church too. So you can't really have a council to say, okay, well, guys, what are the ones are in, what are out, right? Um, but and you the, don't want to sacrifice the writings too well, by great. coming together and mm-hmm. potentially, you know, they're going to kick your writings out. Like, yeah. what do you, what are you Alexandrians mm-hmm. doing? That's not inspired. We've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and to see, you know, what was a priority council of Jerusalem and in, in the scriptures yeah. that we have, you know, council of Nicaea, it, it, the initial centuries of the church, you know, you have councils that expressed concern and then until the canon was written, mm-hmm. that was not the priority of the day until right. it became the priority they of the day. They fix the problem that's yeah. in front of them. Yeah, that's yeah. what councils do. They fix a problem when mm-hmm. it comes yeah. up. Yeah. Now, before we get into these lost books and before we really dig into it and share some of these with you and the ones that were almost and in some cases were part of the Bible until they weren't, why don't you find uh, let everyone know where they can find 
stuff from us. Yeah, if you want to dig into more about the Catholic Talk Show, go to the website. It's the best resource out there. Go to catholictalkshow.com. There you'll see every podcasting form as well as a YouTube link. If you do go to YouTube or if you're view, viewing our content now, make sure you hit subscribe and click the little bell Ding. so that every time that we produce a show, it's going to populate in your feed. We want to give a big shout out to our patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you want to be a financial contributor to the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic Talk Show. There you'll see any way, every way that you can support us. And we've got a ton of gear and some specialized content as well for you. So check that out today. All right. Thank you for that. Padre. No problem. So again, we kind of laid the premise of why there's all these different books out and what are floating around. And a lot of these are lost to history, and we only know them in passing references from other writers, right? They'll quote one of these in their writings, and we know that they existed, right? Now, I think before we can get into this and get into these lost books, I think it makes sense to just in a real briefly mention how the canon of the Bible was set. Um, it really was, I think, mostly the work of a few really great saints, right? Eusebius, Jerome, and Athanasius, right? Those are the in my mind, the primary ones who helped set the canon, because they were some of the great scholars and theologians of their and day. historians. Yes. Jerome's one of the best historians yeah, of the church. Yeah. Jerome, he's from my neck of the woods, too. He was from Istria, you know, the Slovenian, Didn't Croatian area. Did he on somebody? Jerome was kind of a jerk. Yeah. Uh, very much like me. Yeah, I was just, I was, I wasn't. You weren't going to make that relation. Yeah, I teed it up. But yeah. <laughs> Jerome, yeah, Jerome sat in his room and read and I'm sure he complained that the other monks weren't doing their research and weren't recording enough episodes. I mean, look, for every, for every Francis putting flowers at the end of guns, you got to have a Jerome to get things done, right? Padre. <laughs> I guess I would agree. All yes. right. And for every Peter who's out jumping around and fishing and taking, <laughs> you know, long walks along Roman roads, you got to have someone compiling scripture. Gotcha. <laughs> so there's really the canon of scripture was set over the course of a few councils, right? The Council of Hippo in 393, Carthage in 397, and then Carthage, number two, Electric Boogaloo, in 419, okay? <laughs> So over the course of these three councils, the canon of Scripture was fully set in conjunction with all the bishops of the known world. They all came there as a council. Three councils. Three councils that really, you know... Were purposefully looking at documents and saying... Yes. Which you're, which ones you're are in, you're out. You're out. Right. Yeah. Uh, the main one being the Council of Hippo, but then some amendments in Carthage and Carthage too. Now... Uh, what were the criteria that they used? What criteria did all these assembled bishops going through this big pile of everything saying, this is one in, this one's in, this one's not, right? So obviously it had to have a special relation to God and be considered divinely inspired. It had to be free from heresy, right? If there's some like the, the book of Thomas, which we won't even mention this, well, we just did, but we won't mention in much because it is clearly a Gnostic um, and heretical document, right? Mm -hmm. So it had to be, number one, obviously inspired by God, not heretical. It had to be of apostolic origin. Now, that's going to be an important one because yeah. a lot of these other books that were in the Bible for hundreds of years that no one would dispute should be part of the Bible are not in the Bible now because they were not of direct apostolic origin. They came that second or third generation of Christians. Yeah, and there's an ecclesiology in our church about that, the transmission of the gospel from Jesus to the apostles, and then 
there's a break. I don't know what it's called, right. but there's an ecclesiology about that. And then there's also, there had to be the precedence that they had been used as far back as they could remember in church services um, and by the community of believers. They couldn't be like, hey, we found this one. It had to have a historical provenance of being used within the, the community. It had to have fruit. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So those were the... Those were the and that, and criteria. When, when you when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they are some of the most prominent communities that they preach. You look at look at Paul's scriptures, for example. You know they were very prominent communities that effectively began to follow Christ and worship Him in great effect, even if they needed to be challenged in, in a number of occasions, certainly with Paul's communities that he served, yeah. you know, the apostle to the Gentiles. So that's such a, a, an important point that you made is, is it needs to be relevant and effective within the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think another very brief passing thing that we can mention is Athanasius put the 27 books of the New Testament in order, and no one has ever really seriously challenged that. And the reason that there's a difference between Catholic Bibles and Protestant Bibles, 73 versus 66, is because there is a difference in the way that the Jewish people considered their canon, right? There was no authority, central authority that said, well, there's, this is the Jewish Bible because it wasn't relevant to them to have this as canon. These are just the things right. we read, right? And there's a lot of lost Jewish writings that would be considered Old Testament writings like like the works of uh, Saul where he's an exorcist, which Jesus mentions that we know existed because Jesus mentions them in the Bible. But basically the Protestants after Martin Luther, and I think just again to be contrarian, went with the list that was proposed by the hypothetical council of Jamnia, which happened in 70 AD, where the Jews set their canon. But essentially the Catholic Church's canon took the Jewish canon of the Old Testament as was used by the Greek version in Alexandria. Septuagint. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was, and then after the destruction of Rome, I think there was the trend among Judaism to kind of really push back against the the Hellenic Jewish and Roman Jewish influence and really be more directly Hebrew Jewish so that they rejected that Greek influence and said, these are the ones that are Hebrew, not the Greek translations. Right. Because the the Septuagint were the Hebrew scriptures in a Greek translation. That's right. So that's the difference between 66 and 73. And no one really challenged it until Martin Luther. And then people said, well, the Catholics didn't set canon until the Council of Trent. But Council of Trent just reaffirmed that. So that's that. Now, let's get into some of those lost books of the Bible, Padre, mm-hmm. that you found so... Providentially underneath the table. Incredible. What did you do? Incredible. So this is a very, very interesting book. So if you're interested in it, it's the Lost Books of the Bible. Uh, You could you could go online, go on Amazon, pick it up. Um, You know, as you go through here, you've got the Proto Evangelion. You have the Gospel of Infancy of Jesus Christ, the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, which Mm -hmm. which you mentioned before, the Epistle of Jesus Christ, Gospel of Nicodemus. Apostles' Creed, Epistle of the Paul, the Apostle to the Laodiceans, the Epistle of Paul, the Apostle to Seneca. I mean, there's so many right. Epistles of Clement, Barnabas, Ignatius. Barnabas. And, yeah. Um, wow. You've got you've got a Gospel of Judas. I mean, really a number cool. of these are a number of these are Gnostic Gospels. Mary Magdalene. Um, when you say Gnostic Gospels, you mean they they they're, they're they didn't actually write them. No, so it was typically you'd have the Gnostics say, hey, look, we found this ancient document that supports our theology. 
right? Mm -hmm. And they were basically, I don't know, Joseph Smith finding a yeah, providentially okay. a book, uh, a whole okay. New Testament gotcha. of Jesus Christ in a hat, right? That's interesting. It's kind of the same thing, right? So some of that in and there, it's privileged knowledge. It's like this yeah, exclusive. It's, exclusi it's exclusivity and and forming these kind of cultic circles <laughs> that that has heresy that has all these mispractices that happen within that shows the error of lack of consistency. And, and just as a Gnosticism, you know, approach here, a lot of that sounds like Scientology. I, I was thinking the same thing, sounds actually. Sounds like yeah. Mormonism, right? right? Mm -hmm. It's like we know something that's very special that was given to us, and then you create a body of work around you that draws people in with faith. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, not to not to hate on. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm hating on Scientology because yeah, I've seen. Well, well great. Now you just names. got our account shut down because their lawyers are going to call us. <laughs> <laughs> the Mormons, you guys are cool, great, nice people. Oh, Your Bible is whack. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you though. It's all right. So I think the first one in these lost ones that makes sense to mention is not really one that's ever been found and never really been mentioned historically, and that is the Q source or the Q gospel. Now, if you've ever, you've heard the term, the synoptic gospels, yep. right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right. They all are almost incredibly the same, right? The mm -hmm. sayings are the same. The structure is the same. Then John is so wildly different. Yeah. Now, a lot of people and biblical scholars will hypothesize that there was an original gospel, which was essentially, they call it the Q gospel, which comes from the, the German. Q source. The Q source, which comes from the German word, uh, I can't pronounce it properly. Kuel, right? Mm -hmm. Which means source in German. Mm -hmm. And what they hypothesized was, was this was basically a list of sayings of Jesus Christ. Not really in a narrative form, but here's the, like almost like if you've read the book of wisdom of Jesus Ben Sirach, right? It's like notes. Right, notes, right? And yeah. a lot of people will hypothesize that these three synoptic gospels are so similar because... They would take this list of the accepted sayings and quotes of Jesus and then put them in there and then contextualize the story with their recollection. So Mark, you know, recalling the, the recollection of Peter, right? That doesn't sound right, though. But that was very common in the, the Jewish preaching habit of the time where you'd take the sayings of a person and write them down. Because okay. there's going to be people out there and you're not going to be like, and then Jesus walked and went and prayed on the boat and everything. You'll have the sayings. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. To say, oh, he said that. That's a cool line. Right. And we, we even see that on, in social media circles now. And or you even see that in Christian memes. circles. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> you, you, you are driven in thoughts in or eisegesis or, you know, sound bites. And that captures the mind and generates discussion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the initial gatherings were around testimony, you know, yeah. for a greater for a greater extent of it. It was around people sharing testimonial stories, but there was a golden thread of stories that were consistently through these different communities, the community of Matthew, the community of Mark, the community of Luke, the, and the intention behind these gospels are drawing from the same Q source that now you have the contents of these core testimonies, these core parables, these core teachings of right. Jesus that are attributed to him. And then St. Luke, as we know, when we open up that that gospel passage, I think it would be it'll be good to uh to do that real well, quick. While you're looking that up, I think a cool thing to mention is that of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, right, take drawing on those cue sources for the sayings because it's easy to remember. Mark is often considered the 
Secretary of St. Peter. So it would have right. been it would have been the recollection of P- Peter and Peter. Like, yeah. And that's when he said that. OK, so wouldn't Jesus say this? Well, he said this during this. Right. Mm-hmm. Or that, um, you know, Luke was. So Paul's so, secretary, and that would have been the recollections of. And he was a doc, He was a doctor, and he's Smart. very scientific, yeah. right? So he he starts out chapter one. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have handed them down to us, I too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew, to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. Wow. So again, it's you know, you've it's got awesome. all of these teachings. It's the documentation of Jesus's life. Yeah. Like the gospel, like Matthew, Mark, well, what's he Luke. saying there? He's saying there's things, there's all there's kinds of stuff, and I'm going to make it. He's yes. actually, he's actually proving what we're talking about. He's, he's, in, in, yeah, in the he's, very first chapter. And, and, but you see the progress of that even into the forming of the canon, right? Because mm-hmm. we're what the church is trying to do, and what those who are called into ministry at at a level of administration and pastoral care and shepherding. They're trying to make it orderly so that it could be delivered in a manner that is consistent and help people grow to understand what Jesus taught and how I could put his teachings into practice. Yeah. And a lot of the hypothesis of why Q is lost is because people said, well, okay, we had all these things. They were just fragments. And now Mark and Luke and Matthew put them together. We don't really need to keep this around anymore because it's all been contextualized. So it essentially faded away. Mm-hmm. So that is the the Q hypothesis or the Q source hypothesis, which makes a lot of sense, but it's not proven. It's a it's a biblical yeah, I mean, study it's a, theory. It's a decent and it analysis. makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, but I think I think this is a perfect way to bridge into the lost books of the Bible. There you go. Because found it. I found it. <laughs> <laughs> but but for the reason that okay. Luke's drawing from all of these sources. He said it right there in the first chapter of St. Luke. He's drawing from all of these different sources, testimonies, stories, things that are written down, things that he's overhearing and seeing. He's investigating it. Said that in his own words. I'm investigating it. So we're seeing this Q source, you know, and in a clear sense when you're analyzing, you know, the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But now this bridges into, well, what are these other... Right things that he's looking at, yeah, and I think this helps, and and really, you know, beginning to look at how Gnosticism started to develop, and so yeah, it's it's kind of like the base from which all of the people discerning this flow from, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's what we're going at. Mm-hmm. So I think the first one, this one is truly lost. This is not one that was rejected. This one was a truly lost book of the Bible, and it's a lost epistle of Saint Paul. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason we which, know about which, this, you know, he's he's pretty popular in the Bible, <laughs> right? So imagine imagine having lost Galatians or or Hebrews or, yeah. or Romans, right? Yeah. Well, there was the Epistle of the Laodiceans. Okay, this one is lost, but it is mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, that's right. So in Colossians four sixteen, he says, "Well, take this letter." And then take the letter that I had yeah. already sent to uh, Laodicea and then pass that one on, right? Yeah. It was an encyclical. So Paul mentions this, right? Mm-hmm. That, hey, you have this one. The Laodiceans have this one. So we know that this one existed, but it's missing. We don't have copies of it. So that's a real loss because I would love to read it. Now, some people say that really 
Laodicea actually just had the letter to Ephesians and that he was telling, hey, the one that I sent to the Ephesians that went to the Laodiceans passed that one on. So that's the other theory, but a lot of people dispute that, that really it is a fool. He was a lost. super passionate guy. I can imagine him writing to everybody. I'm not, sure. Not and he was uniquely, yeah, he was uniquely associating it to different things that he was seeing yeah. in, that church. in that church. I mean, he would preach and until people fell, fell out of the second <laughs> floor and then he'd go save them and then he'd come back and preach more. Very, very passionate preacher. Now, there was all kinds of, and you can imagine, there's all kinds of forgeries of this because Oh, well, we have this missing one, and this is our chance to imprint our theology. Hey, we found this letter of Paul, and it says that, you know, I should, you know, you should believe what I'm saying, right? So this was a, you know, up until the 4th, 5th century, everyone claimed to have found it and said, hey, it supports my theology. Yeah. So it, it was, a, it was a, a, a weapon, almost, or a tool of heresy, you know, in the people early church. People always want power. They of want course. people following them. They want to be the leader of the, everybody. I think another really cool one is the the epistle of Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Now, this one, again, this was actually in the Bible. Our one of the oldest known copies of the Bible that everyone says this is a Bible. There's the four great uh, codices, right? There's um, the, the 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 Codex uh, Vaticanus, uh, the Codex uh, Sinaiticus, which is where we found it's a Codex book. Okay, right there, there, there. Early, these are the this existing, is the canon. This is it, right? Okay. This is the Bible. Yeah, this is the right. oldest known yeah, Bibles, yeah. and in the Codex Sinaiticus, uh, the Epistle of Barnabas is in there, right? It was uh, in between. It was right after the Acts of the Apostles, right? It's and uh, Barnabas was a, a companion fa- of Paul. A, a yeah, Paul. yeah, he was a companion, and and it's refer- he's referenced in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He'd have a lot of good things to write about. You, you would mm-hmm. think so. Now, do we have this or is it lost? This one's lost. We well, no. We, so we have some copies of it. We have it in Sinaiticus, right? Gotcha. It's, it's in there. It's part of the Bible that everyone accepted as the Bible after the time of Constantine. Now, a lot of people will presume that these these four great codices. There's record of of Constantine saying create twenty five Bibles, and that these are the four existing copies left. So these could have been approved Bibles from the Council of Nicaea, and it included uh, this this Epistle of Barnabas. We don't have that in your book. Is that one in, in your book? Your yeah, book? no. This there is there is this. I mean, it's the same thing that I'm, kind that of I'm excited. looking at I don't here. Get to, I don't get to read it though. Like, what do we got in the book over there? <laughs> so what we have what we have in the book. So you've got the Epistles of Paul the Apostles to Seneca with Seneca the Younger. Um, the Laodiceans. So should, should I read a little bit of this? The epistle of what you mentioned yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm about to read that book. <laughs> Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ to the brethren, which are Laodicea. Grace be to you and peace from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank Christ in every prayer of mine that you may continue to pr- preserve and persevere in good works, looking for that, which is promised in the day of judgment. Let not the vain speeches of any trouble you who pervert the truth, that they may draw you aside from the truth of the gospel which I have preached. And now may God grant that my converts may attain to a perfect knowledge of the truth of the gospel, be beneficent, be beneficent and doing good works with which accompany salvation. That's interesting. It sounds awesome. like Paul with these run-on sentences. Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely Paul. 
I don't know. I, I mean, this is Barnabas could have like picked Barnabas, it out. I mean, it was a companion. He might have thrown that in there. But, but no one knows. This is likely, almost for sure, a later forgery that we don't have the. Uh, we we, we don't, don't know. know. We don't know. Well, it's beautiful language right. too. I mean, it, it, and none of it is really. Like looking for the promise, which is our salvation, like mm-hmm. attending to it. Like that's beautiful. See, you know, a lot of these books, even though they were removed from the Bible because they didn't meet one of those criteria, like Barnabas, well, it's, is it really apostolic? Do we, has it been used consistently? This Barnabas was from the Alexandrian church, Yeah, but the other churches didn't really use it. Uh, it's and, a secondary source, right. if you will. And it kind of had some things that while not Gnostic in nature, could be viewed as precursors to Gnosticism, right? And then the other thing, too, is like, you know, with like, I don't want to bring up the M word, but Medjugorje, I just did. But like sometimes things... (laughs) I'm happy about talking about Medjugorje. But but, but what I'm saying is like sometimes things have uh, not scandal, but like, you know, different, different like, you know, presumptions around them or... Things that happen afterwards that scandalize what happened before, mm-hmm. where the church is like, you know what, I. You or when know. it when it breaches from tradition, like when there's a there's right. a separation from tradition. Yeah. The fact that Mary has never appeared consistently for twenty five years or thirty years now, or whatever it's been in Medjugorje, is a unique characteristic of yeah. Medjugorje, right? That no other time that Mary's ever appeared. Has she appeared that much? So how the church is going to identify what happened in Medjugorje, you know, the, that's what I'm thinking about this. I think that's, I think that's a great, that's a great point because, you know, there's no question in my mind personally that God is at work in Medjugorje in in a unique way. The fruits there. Now how, how the apparitions took place, the apparitionists, who they are, the integrity of the integrity of the message. I don't know. It, It had a major influence on my life. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, but, but I guess the, the premise is that something good could have happened. And then the fruits after that kind of died on the tree. You're right. You know? So a lot of these books still to this day are considered fruitful for the Christian to read, just not divinely inspired or don't have all those characteristics that make them part present of, for the canon. They don't mm-hmm. make them part they of canon. Yeah. And also, I think you can consider some of these books almost like movies that everyone loved Back in the day, but now you look at them and they're a little bit out of touch with Blood the times. Sport. Blood <laughs> sport. What about Wesley Snipes? <laughs> no, okay. Think, a, think about the recent, I guess, uh, Baby It's Cold Outside, right? Everyone loved that song for generations. Now you got all these woke people yeah. saying, well, this is a little bit not cool anymore. It's, not it's canceled yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these books kind of experienced that where yeah, everyone accepted them point. until they started like, well, you know, people are using that to justify Gnosticism. Let's just yeah, bounce on this off, one. Right? Back off. So bounce. there's yeah. another one, Padre, sure. that I think you wanted to bring up. Yeah, no, the the book that I would love to reference, and it's one that's held up by many Christians, Catholics, and was very, very close to being in the Bible itself. Many saints highly recommend reading it. It's The Shepherd of Hermas. And then also, I mean, we've got to throw out uh, Clement too. Yes. Because Clement's also another one that I, I recall from seminary days, you know, taking a look at it and being like, wow, this is like really, really inspiring. I mean, but he was, he was a pope, right? 
Clement? Yeah. Did yeah. We yeah, yeah. Exactly. Did we mention so that? Peter, yeah, so connected to Peter. And maybe we can be maybe we can kind of just touch on that after the sure. Shepherd of Hermas. Okay. But the Shepherd of Hermas um, you know, is in is found in the Codex Sinaiticus, as mentioned uh, by Sheil a mm-hmm. little a little while ago, listed between the Acts of the Apostles and the Acts of Paul, and it's listed in the Codex Claromonitus as well. Um, so, you know, Jerome Saint Jerome recommended. Um, Eusebius says though it was not estimated canonical, it was read publicly in the churches, which corroborated with all of like the the old school fathers. I mean, like to realize that everybody highly regarded this book um, and this contribution to the Christian life. So this is coming out of the first couple of centuries of Christianity with great power and its effect in the Christian community. The work comprises of five visions, 12 mandates, and 10 parables. It relies heavily on allegory and pays special attention to the church, calling the faithful to repent of the sins that have harmed it. So again, picking up you know, the pastoral directive of calling for repentance and to put in the practice of that eschatological vision of Jesus Christ. So like you think of like a shepherd, shepherd of Hermas, this is ultimately what what we're getting at. And, you know, all of the fathers from the first, you know, really six centuries of the church are highly regarding, uh, you know, the shepherd of Hermas. This one, I don't think there was ever a, a, a doubt of that it's useful to read. I don't know if there was even a doubt that it was divinely inspired, but I think it fails on the fact of being an apostolic origin. So that's really why this one's not in. But every, I mean, you're looking at like Irenaeus, Clement, Origen, Tertullian, um, Eusebius. They all said this was part of scripture. And they're all saints. This one is probably the most likely book that we have that still exists in its original form that was part of the Bible that everyone agreed on at one point. But then it lost out on that qualification of apostolic Mm. origin. And that's just a beautiful thing about the process of the canon of the Bible, I think, too. You know, and, and the, the work that went into it. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned Clement. Clement was the fourth pope, right? And he's considered one, he is considered the first of the apostolic fathers of the church. Now, you know the fathers of the church. He's the first, right? Along with um, Polycarp and Irenaeus. And Clement, he, he wrote an epistle. And basically, it's one, it's, I think it's the first known existing papal document, right? The Clem, the Pope, the epistle of Clement. That's the first document that we have from a Pope and all of the communities read it just like they read the, um, just like they read the, the, the epistles of Paul. I mean, it was regarded by everyone as just part of the Bible. This is coming from that Pope who knew Peter, right? I mean this, but again, he's an apostolic father, but not quite of the apostolic age. It was written in you know, the late 80s or maybe early 90s, right? First century. I mean, it is an ancient origin of people who knew the people who knew Jesus, right? And, and I think when it comes to the canon and, you know, when it comes down to things that were put in the canon and things that were not, I think Paul, you know, you could question like, well, Paul, you know, was the apostle to the Gentiles, but that kind of came later after Jesus ascended into heaven. Like, how did Paul get in there? Well, I think the I think the Council of Jerusalem is kind of really significant in that mm-hmm. respect as well. And yeah. to see that the intention of Jesus Christ is that this good news was to spread to all nations 
And it's that exchange and that relationship between Paul and the apostles that Jesus intends to reveal for the spread of the gospel to the whole world. So that kind of gives you that core curriculum or core value to the New Testament as we now have it in the canon, how we have celebrated it since it's, you know, codification. That's Mm -hmm. what I was thinking is like, there must have been something very special about the transmission of the gospel through those who interacted with Jesus. I mean, Mm -hmm. that they're spiritually speaking, when everybody gets around and says, this is the canon. I don't think it was like, well, no, you weren't with Jesus. I, I think there was a real spiritual like approach to it where there's mm-hmm. like, this is, this is it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a term, there's a, a theological terminology for it. I don't know what it is, but there is the, uh, the, the terminology of the encounter with Christ, with the apostles, and then those who did not encounter him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but there is a, mm-hmm. a term for it. Now, the, the 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 epistle of Clement, I mean, that is along with the Didache, is the oldest known existing in its original form Christian document besides what is in the Bible. It is of ancient origin. No one disputes it. It was always considered more or less part of the Bible. So go read this. This is like discovering whole new parts of the Bible, almost, that are worth reading. You know, the Shepherd of Hermas, the letter of Clement. Go read those. Mm-hmm. Well, now, it's like reading anything, like you know, the diary of you mm-hmm. know. Well, but some of them, might, mercy. like I mean, it's just, it's it's beautiful. Some mm-hmm. of them you have to be more careful with, like the Gospel of Thomas, right? You have to do some research and understand that some of these were, you know, used. these were used or yeah. fabricated for yeah. use, and um, can and can lead to error exactly in certain, yeah. in certain spaces. Right now, two other ones that I think are very important, and maybe the last two we'll cover in depth. Was the Gospel of Peter and the Apocal and the um, Proto Evangelion of James? Those two, again, most early church fathers consider them accurate or true. So a lot of the things that we know about the tradition of the Holy Family and like the flight to Egypt and things like that and the smaller details come from that Proto Evangelium mm-hmm. of James. Really, I, I, I mean. Some of the justification for the perpetual virginity of Mary and the earliest arguments for it from like Origen and Tertullian come from that and they quote that, right? So a lot of really good instructive things to go read those. So the Gospel of Peter and the Proto-Evangelium of James, um, they really try to do a lot of insight in James onto the Holy Family. We should put the reading list together. We do. I'll have a list of this and I'll put, there's a chart that shows all the lost books, and then who of the early church fathers accepted or denied them. I'll put that, wow. that graph on there. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's actually in the back of the book. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's excellent. So I think as we as we draw to a conclusion, maybe, you know, a pastoral application of this, and I think you were, you know, leaning in this direction, Delacrosse, um, to consider that the gospel continues to be proclaimed and it is passed on, you know, and you could see that from Peter to Clement. You see that in the Shepherd of Hermas giving pastoral directives, mm-hmm. really in commands of ways of living. Um, that is very inspirational. And and to see that 
all of these generations are building and building and building upon the fundamental revelation and testimonies and parables and stories of that Q source mm-hmm. that that really helped to codify and put into a canon what we now celebrate in the library of books that we consider the Bible. I think it validates the Bible even more. It does. And that's why, you know, the fullness of our faith, the fullness of revelation that is contained within the body, the mystical body, that is the Roman Catholic Church, that is the Catholic Church, is something to be celebrated in respect to Scripture and tradition. Tradition gives us that contact with what we're discussing today, and there's a value to it. There's even a value to be to research Gnostic Gospels and to see how the Gospel was misused in yeah. different respects that isolated and created exclusivity. The beauty of Jesus is like, come unto me, all you who labor. That inclusivity is something that is such an, a beautiful aspect of our faith. So to realize that today the gospel is being proclaimed to communities and we must take our part in passing on our own testimonies and our own experiences so that we can continue this good work of being followers of Jesus Christ. So to to leave you with some words, I think, from the shepherd of Hermas, I think command one would be appropriate of believing in one God. First of all, believe that there is one God who created and framed all things of nothing into being. He comprehends all things and is only immense, not to be comprehended by any, who can neither be defined by any words nor conceived by the mind. Therefore believe in him and fear him, and fearing him abstain from all evil. Keep these things and cast all lust and iniquity far from thee, and put on righteousness, and thou shalt live to God, and thou shalt keep this commandment. And he goes on to continuing yeah. commandments. But I think that's a, that's a awesome. beautiful, creative yeah. concept, you know? Yeah. So there's two other lost things that we want you to check out, and those are not actually lost. There are sponsors who make our episodes possible along with all of our patrons who we have much love for. A big a big thank you to Ave Maria University and Exodus 90. Ave Maria University, as you guys know, is my alma mater and still has my heart and my, my daily prayers and all of my support. Ave Maria University is an outstanding Catholic university that instructs along the lines of a classical liberal arts approach to academics. And the spirit of the community there is based in the revelations that we're sharing today. Outstanding professors, outstanding community. If you know anybody exploring college, make sure that you encourage them to check out Ave Maria. Exodus 90 is something that we've experienced firsthand, and we actually did a show on. Yes, Exodus 90 is a 90-day program for men to exercise discipline and enter into a fraternity where they refrain from worldly pursuits and enter more into a spiritual pursuit of developing masculinity modeled after the person of Jesus Christ. I think it's an excellent program and over 17,000 men. 35,000. 35,000 men men. And I think this year it's going to be even more because this movement continues to grow in the church because it produces so many great fruit in men. And this year's Exodus begins January 4th. <clears throat> Make sure you sign up now. You can go to uh, exodus90.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show. You can sign up for free. 
you want to make sure that you get your plan together, get your fraternity together, because it's really about doing it with other men so that they can support you in this purification and preparation for Easter. So again, it starts January 4th. Um, and go to exodus90.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show to sign up for free. That's it. I'm just blown away that from the last time that we did shows, mm. it was 17,000. And now, not, you know, six yeah. months later, yeah. we're already, I mean, well, that's incredible. Well, it's, well, we were, they were our sponsor last year. We talked yeah. about it. And everyone's like, well, if Father Rich does it, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> because look at the fruit. No, it, it really developed and great it, friendships here. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. guys that I did it with here, that was just, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, and a shout out to James, our, our guy over there, a great guy, great no, program. Seriously, you, yeah. if you're a man looking for more out of life and trying to break addictions that have held you back, whether it's to uh, lust, whether it's to laziness and sloth, whether it's to physical and appetitive needs, this will help you break it and focus your manhood on God. Yeah, get on a good track, right? right. And stay on this track. We'll see you next week. God bless.